but I was told I was told by one of the scientists that they had it over a period of time and that their they actually had a situation where their spinal fluid heated up expanded and actually popped and they ended up having a stream of like salty liquid down the back of their throat which kind of like badly burnt their throats as well a very sort of like a salty liquid from their spine they literally felt a pop welcome back i'm here again with frank milburn frank welcome back hi sean thanks buddy all right. Disclosure, disclosure, disclosure. What is going to happen in the next few months? Like, is, is this something that is going to move inexorably or are there still factions, in your opinion, fighting to hold it back, some fighting to push it forward? So in other words, is it going to be clean? Is it going to be ugly? I think it's going to be a more drawn out process. I mean, things are faster now, as you mentioned in a previous podcast, you know, with the internet and the fact that everybody can kind of dial in. But I think it's going to be a process. I mean, if you look back to the Middle Ages, I mean, people like, you know, Galileo, you know, were ridiculed for saying that, you know, the planets don't actually revolve around the Earth, et cetera, and, you know, the, the Earth isn't flat. So I think it's a, it's a slow process of mankind coming to appreciate that there are things that, that we don't understand. Yeah, no, I mean, I think there's definitely both within the Pentagon and the IC. It seems to be that there's, there's pro and anti-factions. There's also people who've kind of gone out of their way to sort of ridicule and nail, you know, Lou Elizondo and pretty much anybody who, who comes out. I mean, there's been a lot of ridicule in, I'd say the UFO community itself has probably been its own worst enemy or elements thereof because you've had like the charlatans and the kind of kooks who try to monetize it or to make a cult out of it, uh, you know, their UFO cults, et cetera. But in terms of what's going on at the moment, I think it's really going to be down to uh, Congress and how those, you know, the key, sort of key personnel involved, like, you know, Rubio and, and Gillibrand, et cetera, how long they can keep their pedal on the gas for. Because, I mean, this is a, a deep, deep, dark secrets that have been around for 80 years. And, you know, people who, who pass this on from generation to generation, they've had eight decades to become good at doing it, whereas, you know, politicians uh, come and go. So uh, I think if you look at it from that perspective, I mean, it might be very, very difficult. You talked about in a, in a previous uh, podcast, you talked about a potential divestment of assets by Lockheed, right? So I was actually having a conversation with somebody the other day, and um, I was saying, well, you could move these programs somewhere like uh, an American ally, like Brazil, you know, somewhere, you know, deep in the Amazon or some, you know, very remote Brazilian Air Force base. Or, you know, you could fly the materials via, a, you know, Ascension Island, which is, you know, a joint uh, RAF US Air Force base, and then down to the Falklands, which has got a, an absolutely huge Air Force base down there, which they built. Diego you know, Garcia. In, in the aftermath of the, the Falklands War, there's lots of space in the Falklands, right? Uh, where there's yeah. not a lot, where there's not a lot except penguins and sheep. So, I'd expect the people who are behind the cover-up to do absolutely everything possible. And it may be a case of, you know, you have federal agents turning up. They've been told by Congress where to look. Uh, you know, warrants have been issued and they've been told to turn up at, you know, um, a certain installation in the middle of nowhere in the desert somewhere in America or a specific military base. And they turn up and, you know, the hangar's empty and the laboratory's been cleared and, and, and the scientists are all somewhere else. So I don't know. I, it's very hard to say. But I, I don't think that, it's, that, that these people are going to go, they're not going to go quietly, I don't think. I think there's going to be a, a, an effort to do it, unless there's some kind of huge wrench that can be held over them. 
uh, a palanca, like they say in Spanish, some kind of like leverage, you know, to force them. But they've had you know eight decades to to, to do this and to be very good at at hiding things. Now, uh, yeah, I think you've written a paper about the whole UAP phenomena and its intersection with government, et cetera. One of the factions that you mention is the Collins elite. Yeah. So like, we're not just talking about factions that want to keep this quiet because it's ETs or multidimensionals. Like this group thinks it's demonic. Yeah. Can you just say, say more about the Collins elite, but also who you think the factions are? Sure. Well, starting with the Collins elite from people that I've, I've spoken to, including, you know, the, the likes of Colonel John Alexander and others, I don't think they go around calling themselves necessarily the Collins elite, like they have, you know, like a, right. you know, sort of like a clubhouse saying Collins elite. But I think right. it's a, a general confluence of interests, you know, people who believe that this topic should be not touched at all. Maybe they're much in the same way as like clerics were in the Middle Ages who didn't want to countenance any advances in science and didn't want to believe that sea monsters weren't actually sea monsters, that they were actually, you know, creatures and persecute the, you know, the, the, the likes of Galileo, as I mentioned. So I'd say, yeah, they don't want uh, the topic to be studied because they're, they come from a, a sort of like a very uh, ultra-religious, almost cultish kind of Christian background. So as you said, they see it as demonic. In terms of uh, non-disclosure advocates, I'd say that those factions would be those who, A, think that it's there's basically too much dirt and too much water under the bridge, and it's basically too difficult for American society to accept. And certainly they don't want to have all their nefarious activities come out in the wash. They don't want to go into jail. They don't want the technology to be exposed to America's enemies. I'd say, you know, those are the principal reasons behind it, but also, you know, just to cover their own illegality because they're complicit in, in basically being in, in, in huge illegality that has gone on for decades. So they want to cover their asses, basically. In terms of pro-disclosure factions, I'd say, my understanding, people like Galileo, uh, Galileo, sorry, people like Elizondo and Chris Mellon, and I speak to Chris Mellon once in a while, they are about transparency. Yes, they believe that the American people and you know people in general in the world have a right to know, you know, are we alone? Are we not? If if we're not alone, then you know, who are we sharing, you know, this space and potentially other spaces with, and not just outer space, but you know, on the earth or parallel dimension, whatever it is, there's activity going on in our skies, in our oceans something intelligent is behind it or some things intelligent behind it and people have a right to know, especially maybe if it, as regards their safety. But at the same time, I think that they have a, a deeper motivation and that's because they believe that, and this is my own conjecture, which I put in my papers and which, and from talking to people, it's because they want Congress to unveil the secrecy, but within uh, a classified congressional setting so that they well, can bring sounds, together- It sounds like- it sounds like they've been doing this for the past two years. Like they've had these yeah. classified sessions, but sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, but my theory is that they want to bring, they want to basically peel back the layers because you've got all these disparate programs which aren't making progress, okay? Elizondo and Mellon, they look at the Chinese who are, you know, doing well, relatively well, whatever you talk about, you know, the, 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 the coming downfall of China or not. They're doing incredibly well at the moment on the global stage. In terms of supposing a threat to America, they want to make sure America gets there before the Chinese do. So if you have these give disparate them, programs where they're not, give where they're not talking, <laughs> yeah, ten years, <laughs> yeah, these disparate programs where they're not talking to each other, 
you need to bring it under one roof. You need to have like a Manhattan Project 2 with maybe 30 billion, 40 billion, 50 billion, whatever it takes. You throw loads of money at it. And as Eric Davis said, by 2050, you can understand the technology of the Tic Tacs, both in case the Tic Tacs turn out to be irrefutably hostile, the intelligence behind them, and to get there before the Chinese do. And interestingly, the Chinese, if you look at all the papers that are submitted by you know, the, 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 the Pentagon to Congress on Chinese military power, the Chinese want to be you know, the, 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 the preeminent global power in sort of military, financial, you know, economic and technological terms by 2049. That's a great rejuvenation of the Chinese nation, which also includes taking Taiwan by force if necessary. So I think those, that's the rationale behind the kind of disclosure faction as along the lines of uh, Elizondo and Mellon. So it's not just about transparency for the public, it's to get these programs in motion, to get them talking to each other and to get the advancement. Which is tricky, right? Because the moment you bring non-national security scientists into the mix, right, you increase the risk that any breakthrough that you you make, you effectively have kind of a Rosenberg phenomena, right? Where someone comes in and shares the information with the Chinese, right? So there's there's certainly a risk of that, but I think in ten years Chinese won't be won't be an issue. <laughs> I, I think that they are in a process of demographic collapse, given the uh, high number of extreme number of elderly citizens they have. They're also over-leveraged in terms of their commercial real estate. Now, we also have a commercial real estate problem here too, post-COVID, because nobody wants to go back to, uh, at least in Silicon Valley, nobody wants to go back to offices. But I think China is, while they're taking an aggressive posture outside their borders, Inside their borders, they have massive systemic problems that they're going to have to contend with in the next years. Whereas we appear to have problems that appear to be problems for us are going to end up saving us. And this is, you know, no, very few people are saying this, but we're, you know, we kind of have this wide open border right now in the South. But at the end of the day, we have a minor demographic imbalance, but we still have a demographic imbalance. It's going to be ugly in the next five years, but in the next 30 years, it might save us in terms of having a robust young workforce that is able to sustain the older population. So the Mellons of the world want to try to revitalize this project. There is one wrinkle that I'll ask you about. All of this, the mindset that appears to be operating here generally tends to be all about nuts and bolts, nuts and bolts technology. But let's say that there is a consciousness interface to all this. Do you think in this process of disclosure and in in such a program that might be built from this, they will look look at those aspects? Are we still going to have kind of this Collins elite level sort of superstition about anything that is remotely perceived as the woo. Yeah, I think Collins Elite will be less of a problem as compared to it being, you know, the consciousness aspect as in control of weapons, you know, by your mind, you know, the cognitive human interface, the kind of like, uh, you know, the, the, the defense intelligence reference documents type concepts. 
I think that would be very much like a, under a sort of a national security umbrella. You know, if you have an, an interface and uh, and you can uh, you keep your fly craft remotely sitting in, just like um, just like now in uh, was it in Creech Air Force Base? You know, you've got blokes sitting there like you know flying drones, which fly over you know various parts of the world, dropping dropping missiles on people. If you have a sort of cognitive human interface, that's going to be very much in a national security setting and classified. But I think what's interesting is now, I mean, Elizondo sort of talked obliquely about abductions. But, you know, first of all, it was crash retrievals that the government, you know, didn't want to talk about or sections the government didn't want to talk about. I think the next big thing is going to be, you know, the whole thing of, uh, like you said, it'd be the, the cognitive aspect of bodies. people. Yeah, they've been very, if you look at Leslie Keen, she's been very, very hesitant to talk about bodies, right? Finding the bodies of pilots, right? So I, I think it's almost like, you get over the crash retrieval aspect, then you have to address the bodies. Then as part of the crash retrieval aspect, you have to address the sharing illegally of this technology with select aerospace companies. And then you get to the abduction phenomena and how you'll kind of issue recompense for that or deal with it or not, right? Well, oh my God. I mean, you know, you, talk, you, you talked in previous podcasts about a guy with a chip. So if you have a MyLab scenario, and I'm not saying they exist, but if you had the US government knows that people are being abducted and they want to know when they're being abducted and who buy and what's happening to them. So they chip them. I mean, that's huge. Hundreds of thousands of potential lawsuits right there. You know, assuming that, you know, hundreds of thousands of people aren't bullshitting about their experiences. And part of it, and that's part of the delay too. I imagine, I think I said in the last episode, that some of the more egregious actions were done 80 years ago or not 80 years ago, but in the first 20 years of this phenomena, and they probably tapered off where there's still some illegality, but, you know, are they still killing people? I don't know. Do you think they are? Well, I've had some pretty solid evidence. Um, I researched uh, the, the last year and a half scientists in, in the white world who were working on sort of anti-gravitics, uh, free energy, UAP propulsion physics. And it seems to me that there were, you know, actors in the States who definitely didn't want them working on these things because it would seem to be proprietary information that certain companies had and they didn't want other people in reinventing the wheel and potentially, you know, in a white world and having no constraint potentially about publishing their material and, and, and monetizing it. But no, I've got photos, videos, witness statements of, you know, use of directed energy weapons, house break-ins, overt technical surveillance, overt physical surveillance, vandalism of vehicles, poisoning, abductions, you know, physical abductions of people by, you know, malign, malign actors, um, druggings, interrogations, poisoning of food. Yeah, which I've documented, but I'm not ready to go out with yet. But no, I think these people uh, run the programs and who hire people with specific skill sets to protect those programs. There's no doubt in my mind that it's still ongoing. Well, even the people that are doing the intimidation, they don't need to know why, right? No, no. They'd just be told, make this guy's life a misery, you know, hound him for a year, make him think that he's going crazy. Maybe, you know, he'll suicide himself, or if not, you know, you can do it and make it look like an accident. And, you know, without going into too many, too much detail into your research, what's the distribution of kind of the number of scientists, 
where are they located? US, UK, Australia? I only looked. I looked at a very narrow section that was in a specific part of the, uh, of the US where there is a, a high density of aerospace and UAP research. Okay. And then uh, roughly how many scientists uh, and over what time period? Over a period That's of two years. years uh, over oh, a period two of two years? years. Yeah. I've That's it? Pers- personally, acquainted inter- with se- personally acquainted with seven of the, them, of them, five of whom basically validate each other's stories and also friends and associates validate their stories of the harassment because they've been harassed as well in conjunction with it. And I've had three scientists approach me asking for security advice and how saying they've had, you know, their vehicles tampered with and, you know, their, their, their wife or, you know, they've been followed around, put under overt surveillance and how do they you know, improve their security? So there's no doubt in my mind. When you say two years, like how recent is it like? Over the last two years. The last two years, they're still doing mm-hmm. this crap. Mm. Yeah, I mean, look oh, at Grush. Wow. I mean, he's saying that he's that he was not only sort of penalized in terms of what he had access to, but also if you listen to Ross Coulthard, I mean, the guy says Grush says that you know he, he had break-ins at his house and threatening phone calls, which is all consistent with what I've been told by people. Yeah, I, uh, it's hard. Again, I believe you. I'm just it's hard to believe in this day and age that people would use the same tactics that they would use in the 1950s, right? Like harassing phone calls or even people showing up at your doorstep to talk to you. Like back in the 50s, they would do that routinely. They would not never identify themselves. But like, you know, you're not getting into my house unless you show me a badge. Yeah. Right? And, and like, and these people don't, you know, I don't know if it's it's still that way, but back then people were a little bit more compliant than they are today. Yeah. Have you heard, I mean, in these cases, is there any incidents of kind of the men in black phenomena or anything like that? No, not at all. Not men in black, but people being, you know, approached in, in bars and asked random, you know, questions about their work. People representing themselves as something else and they're not trying to solicit information, talking to the, to the target and saying, you know, giving them information, making clear that they know about them and their family in a kind of a, in a threatening way. So... Okay, not like so, men in black turning up the door, but, you know, professional operatives doing this kind of thing. Yeah, it's more, it's plausibly, deniably subtle. Yeah, and what one, one scientist said, I mean, you know, I, I got to know them over a period of time. We ended up talking like two, three times a day, and uh, it's done in such an insidious way that if they report it to law enforcement, then they'll be considered absolutely crazy. Yeah, because, they just because... conversations? <laughs> oh, they... They recorded, you know, I saw emails and things that would be sent, threatening emails, that type of stuff. But it's all, you know, some of the stuff is just like so insidious. For example, I give an example. One scientist, a close friend of theirs, they came home and they'd been harassed in conjunction with the scientist and they had all their tires slashed. And this particular scientist woke up the next day and in the middle of their yard, there was basically a, an upright wheel, you know, with a tire, an upright wheel just in the middle of their of their yard and they'd just been told like the night before that you know their friend had had their tires slashed you know just things like that and you know the tire slashing happened in you know a state that was like you know a thousand kilometers away so you know people with reach and people who are doing this in a coordinated fashion and then one person who sent me messages you know in the months leading up to their death saying that if i die or if i'm suicided it's not suicide it's not an accident and then they die in very very suspicious circumstances, but they've been sending me consistent messages, which I've got and recorded. 
saying that, you know, if I if something happens to me, it's not an accident and it's not suicide. And then they have a ostensibly what's a suicide. And did any of these scientists that you cover like die during this period? One of them, yeah. Wow. It's shocking to me that we would still that we would still do these sorts of things in this in this day and age, but and you think that the people would be in the government would be willing to murder people just to protect that snowball effect, right? Just to hide all those other illnesses. I don't know well, if actually, it's technology. In, yeah, I mean, it's high technology, and I don't think it's people in necessarily in the government per se, but people who are in a deep program. Maybe the government doesn't even actually know what they're doing that's running, you know, that particular use app, but it's a private contractor using, you know, private uh, operatives who carry out this kind of operation. Something that's so dark that not even maybe the DOD knows about it. They're just like, right, you've got a program, you get this amount of money, but they don't really know what's going on inside it. Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, uh, so the CIA does this, right? Always put somebody between you and the problem, right? So it's not like these are necessarily government agents. They're professionals who work as contractors to the government. So the government can just, if something goes wrong, they just burn them. It doesn't, it doesn't really. But I know, I know of uh, one, two, three, four people, and this is from the horse's mouth, who've been hit with directed energy weapons. And I've got like the photos, the videos. In one of the videos, it's like two people together, two scientists, and they're explaining like, you know, what this dangerous microwave radiation has done, both in terms of equipment and also to them physically. So it's very, very scary. And one of them, uh, I mean, it caused over a long period of time, you know, literally kind of, you know, cooked them and caused all kinds of, you know, internal organ problems as well. Yeah, and problems for their spine. I mean, you know, horrendous. Just like, um, are you referring to to Havana syndrome? Yeah, very similar to that. And very similar to Travis Taylor, you know, when you saw when he you had those like those little kind of radiation burns, you know, those little kind yeah, of burns. Temple. Yeah. yeah, but I've seen that, but like, you know, covering the side of somebody's face, covering their back, covering their hands. And how is this related to Havana syndrome? Like, is, is, are those the same symptoms that you would see or are they slightly different? I'm not a scientific expert on microwave energy, but um, I spoke to somebody who worked in uh, sort of like, you know, technical surveillance and counter surveillance, right, uh, for the IC. And it actually been in Moscow at a time when Havana syndrome, you know, the, the, the symptoms were being felt by employees of the State Department. And from what they've told me and from what I've seen from these scientists, it looks to be very, very similar. And one of the scientists um explain to me in detail, I mean, because you know, obviously they're smart, they're scientists, they explain to me like how somebody would go about it, how the technology has become smaller and smaller in terms of having like a, you know, a portable kind of like, you know, device that can emit, you know, these directional microwaves. So, you know, you can be looking at a window and they'll, you can be sitting at a window and they'll just, you know, direct the device to beam at your window. And from what I read, I mean, I did a, I did a deep dive into Havada syndrome, you know, in, in the sort of like the 60s and the 70s and the more recent uh, kind of events. And it seems very, very similar in terms of the symptoms that, that the, the, the people who come forward in the IC were talking about to what these scientists were talking about. And then somebody else actually contacts me by email, somebody who worked for a European aer- aer- a big aerospace company. And they had a, a couple of, they, they sent me an email and they said, look, we were interested in this podcast when you were talking about it. And they said, this is what our engineers are, are saying about uh, you know, directed energy weapons and you know, those kind of shenanigans. 
So that was quite interesting. So the, the capabilities out there, the technology is out there, but it, it, it's very freaky when you actually see it in, in terms of photos applied to somebody's body that you know. This is a very technical question, so if you can't answer it, I fully understand. Do you know what wavelength these weapons operate on? Because water resonates at, I think, 2.4 gigahertz or something like that. And that's, how, that's how your microwave oven works. I'm so. not a physicist, but I was, told, I was told by one of the scientists that they had it over a period of time and that they actually had a situation where their spinal fluid heated up, expanded, and actually popped, and they ended up having a stream of, like, salty liquid down the back of their throat, which kind of, like, badly burnt their throat as well, a very sort of, like, a salty liquid from their spine. They literally felt a pop. And, again, they had all kinds of gastrointestinal problems because of it, you know, plus, plus their skin. So very, very nasty. I've, I've actually heard, heard that before about people who – would get too close to some of these programs or i mean i know of one in particular that again secondhand so i'm not i don't want to say too much but they had like this gastrointestinal problem that if they hadn't gotten it dealt with they would have died in like six months but it was specifically gastrointestinal and you know they had been delving into some of these topics but also worked for companies associated with space exploration and, and things like that. So exactly that's the so, people so, I was talking to. Okay. They also one of the scientists also their family member who's a who's a prominent scientist working in uh, you know aerospace and defense. They had a similar thing with the the microwaves and also with the gastrointestinal problems. So it was something that that, that, that had been hit like two members of the family. So they literally boiled the cerebrospinal fluid in the mm. in their in their in their spine in this mm. in this case, according to them, yeah. But uh, they showed me. They sent me a picture of their spine. So if that's the back, and the spine was all kind of like the bones were all kind of like popping out. You know, normally you can kind of see an outline of the spine in somebody's back, right? But these, the bones, were, the, the 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 vertebra were all very very like highly pronounced and really abnormal. And literally, the only thing these people did was were achieving breakthroughs in anti-gravitic propulsion slash zero-point energy, free energy sort of applications. Exactly. Like, great for humanity. Yeah. And somebody's trying to murder them because they're doing good things for humanity. Yeah. Okay, I understand. Okay, that that now I understand. I fully understand your perspective about why there's a faction that wants to keep this stuff silent. Because this stuff, I mean, this is stuff is evil. I mean, it's like, it's not even... How could you justify doing that to somebody? It's not like these people are traitors to their country or anything like that. They're just just doing good work for humanity. Wow. And then what happened after this one scientist died? Did the others just kind of continue their research or did they just stop? One of them did. Two of them absolutely crapped themselves. They called me on a joint phone call and they said, look, you know, how, how do we protect ourselves? What, we, what measures can we take to protect ourselves? And then I just spoke about two months ago with another scientist who one of his friends uh, had also been hit with a microwave. And we're talking like intelligent people, right? Scientists who know what's happening right. to them and can explain to you in scientific detail what's happening to them and why and how. 
they got hit by microwave and his his friend also as well the the wife was followed around for a few days you know overt kind of like intimidatory surveillance and this guy then he called me and he said look you know i went to i went to a meeting and out of state and my you know my car was working fine my brakes were tampered with and and that was something as well that i'd heard from other scientists like that the, the, the brake tampering was like a common uh, link between them tampering to make sure the brakes fail or tampering to send a message that we could make send a message that didn't work properly and also there'd be other things like you know the, the, the door would be unlocked they'd, they'd go away like you know abroad somewhere or, or out of state they'd fly they'd leave vehicle at the airport they'd come back the door would be ajar and the battery would run down because the light had been on you know things like that now when these people now, now this stuff doesn't just start like these people are approached first before this stuff starts correct approaches in what way to work for somebody well it could be to work for somebody or it could be somebody saying that hey you're getting a little close on something that you kind of need to step away like, you know like somebody approaches them and threatens them in, in in some way in other words it doesn't like their brakes just aren't don't start failing right well no like, no it, it was a mix it was a mixture of uh you know sort of like hacking threatening emails and then being approached in kind of public spaces like you know bars and restaurants you know people making sure that they knew exactly a lot about the person that they were approaching and you know in, in a kind of and then and then the the, the harassment and, and the the sort of sabotage and the break-ins then kind of like expanded from there but they didn't they weren't overtly told oh you're working on this but uh, you know they were asked questions saying oh you are you're working on this um, that sounds very interesting they weren't told like oh stop working on it but it was made very clear that they that, that somebody else understood what they were working on. Now, do you have any reason to believe that this was an allied government as opposed to you know the Chinese or the or the Russians? No, I mean I I with the way that I looked at it initially i one of the thought scientists we thought that it was uh, you know like a, a hostile intelligence service but mm -hmm. the amount of manpower or woman power the amount of bodies that you'd have to have on the ground to do that kind of vehicle surveillance technical surveillance you know over a period of years you know you'd be getting pinged by you know counterintelligence agencies in the united states right whether it's inscom or the fbi or whoever but you'd be getting pinged by a counterintelligence agency and you'd have to have a lot of assets dedicated to just that one operation over a period of time. And you would start, you know, showing red flags to people in the counterintelligence community. So I came to the conclusion that it was, and that person, that scientist came to the conclusion that it was, uh, you know, domestic actors who had some kind of like semi-official kind of cover and impunity to operate. Could a private company be responsible for this? Actors working for a, for, for a private corporation, perhaps, yes. Yeah. But I mean, certainly completely illegal. Right. Well, yeah, that goes with it. that goes without saying. Be, you know, because there's certain like the, the CIA is not supposed to operate inside the United States, even though in many cases, you know, during the MK Ultra experiments, they clearly did. But yeah, there's there's so there's so many, and it could also be a private company in concert with national security, right? Trying to trying to do this yeah it sounds like this is i would have i would have i had always thought that these tactics would have moderated over time you know back in the 50s when paranoia was at its height 
you would have seen more of this. But it sounds like this is so far off the rails that it's twisted into something that is probably far worse than it you know originally started based on these stories. Wow. Okay. All right. So going back to this, but thank you for that. Cause that, that really opened my eyes and I think it'll open the audience's eyes to this. So if you're a scientist and this stuff starts to happen to you, what is your advice for them? Get in touch with um, somebody you trust, you know, the counterintelligence agency, whether it's the FBI or if you're working on a, you know, a program, it might be INSCOM, it might be FOSI, it might be, you know, but I'd get in touch with somebody definitely and report it. Local law enforcement, they just, they won't have the, you know, the kind of experience to deal with it and they'll probably think that you're crazy. Yeah. Because it's a kind of a cascade effect. It's like a lot of small things that kind of then get bigger and bigger and bigger. But if you report it, you, can you, if you've reported two or three of them in isolation, you'd be considered crazy just because they're so kind of off the wall, you know, the, these things that happen. Are you familiar with the Chris Bledsoe case in the U.S.? Yeah, I'm familiar with it. I'm, I'm, not, a, I don't, I don't, I'm not a big expert on it. So that family has a lot of liaison with the intelligence community, both positive actors and negative actors. Yeah. And the son, Ryan Bledsoe, claims, again, I'm just putting this out there because this is his claim, that one of these, you know, an intelligence professional threatened his father. And that intelligence professional was shortly thereafter confronted by an orb. <laughs> so there's a lot of interesting stuff that's that's certainly going on today. So with all this in the mix, going back to the disclosure, how much do you think will come out in terms of detail data? Certainly we're not going to get the performance characteristics and power plant schematics of the craft that we have and we we certainly won't get any pictures maybe but highly unlikely what will we get well i mean if we kind of pry the door open i think grush if he's legit and i certainly believe he is based on uh you know leslie king ralph blumenthal their research into him the debriefs research into him ross cool thought well i know quite well his research into him and also somebody out of the blue in the ic told me, oh, I've spoken to several GS-15s, and they said that the guy's totally legit. I didn't I didn't send him a, a – I wasn't asking him. He just sent me a thing. Oh, what do you think about this crush thing? I've spoken to these guys, and they say that he's completely legit. I mean, he's talked about what? He's talked about a, you know, a, a sort of a different a different dimension, a different reality, something that, that intersects with ours, perhaps. So if we pry that open, well, then how does that work? He, he mentioned a bit about the physics. How does that work? Who are they? Why are they here? Is it just, you know, kind of a random in connection or are they here for a reason? So I think that throws up all those kind of questions. He's opened the door there. Are we going to learn about every interaction that we've had with you know, non-human intelligences or, I don't know, potentially human time travelers from the future or other time travelers from the future? I don't know. I think some of those things may never see the light of day. Some of those things may be buried so deep and the people who carried them out maybe are dead by now or like nearly dead. So very difficult to say. But I, the, the door's open, the door's ajar, and it's just got to be kind of like crowbarred open a bit more. But I, I don't I don't think that we can go backwards now. I don't see it going backwards now, unless there's some kind of authoritarian government takes over the US. 
I mean, <laughs> it, it sounds like it sounds like there's one somewhere in there, right? And and the extent to which they because there there is some set of organizations or an organization that's operating outside legal authority. So the question is, is if that's true, how extensive it is, you know, is it? And you know, how much does it how much does it control? Right. We I mean we may already be in that scenario. We just don't know it. So it, it again, this opens up I'm not saying we are, but I'm just, you know, this opens up a ton of questions in this area. And the, the thing that's so frustrating is if you're doing an analysis of anything, you know, you know as well as I do that analysts like to have night nice tidy neat categories right yeah. where you have some six by six matrix right where time travelers incidents right and then you can kind of check where they are interdimensionals you know so i also posit that whatever this is has been around for a very long time and they might fit a category that we can't even conceive exists yeah. Right. That might have aspects of all of the above. I mean, it might be, I mean, here's something, I mean, this is just a crazy idea. It could be an, it could be aspects of us, right. Where you have some doppelganger that's a gray, that's, you know, in some parallel reality, who knows. Right. But, and then again, there's the, you know, there's always the simulation theory, right. It's all simulation. In that case, it could be, it could be whatever you want it to be. So, Okay, so you think this stuff will slowly trickle out. By the way, why do you think Leslie Keene was so hesitant to talk about bodies? What's that all about? I just think that as a journalist, she she wants to, you know, kind of like dot all her I's and cross all her T's, and she doesn't want to enter into something that, you know, she doesn't have, you know, firm evidence to be able to put something down on paper and publish. I think that's why she's being very, very careful. I mean, obviously, she's an incredibly open-minded lady, and you know, she really put her career on the line from you know, a couple of decades ago when she started, you know, writing about UAP and covering UAP as a mainstream journalist. So I don't doubt her integrity in any way. I, I would put that down to she's just being very, very careful that she doesn't want to repeat some kind of like UFO lore or UFO hearsay. She wants to have something solid that she can take to the editor effectively. Well, you've seen her, I don't know, reports, but her experience with like physical mediumship, right? You've seen all that stuff, right? Yeah, I've seen some of that stuff. Yeah. So it's not like it's not like it's outside of her lexicon of experience, right? Because that's even that's even weirder stuff. So, but yeah, I I kind of I kind of understand that. Okay, so in Congress, what do you think the next steps are? They've been obviously having these classified hearings. It sounds like the House of Representatives is set for some sort of public hearings. Do you think the United, like President of the United States, is ever going to step in front of the American people and say, "And the world, we're not alone," or do you think it's just going to be this kind of muddled? If you're paying attention, you know it's true, but if you're not paying attention, you're completely oblivious. Sort of, whereas kind, kind of where we are today. I can't say exactly, but I'd say probably the the second aspect. But I think. What Congress really needs to do, they need to reform RO because, like, it just hasn't worked. I mean, you had, mm -hmm. you know, the you had ATIP 
was, you know, ORSAP, they tried to make it a special access program and they were denied, if you read Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, they weren't given access to specific programs that they wanted to about UAP. Uh, same with ATIT, same with the UAP task force. RO, is it a case of they don't have the authority? Well, they, they talk about Title 10 and Title 50, but actually Moultrie has Title 50. So Kirkpatrick could be read in if he's interested. Does he have enough staff? Is it funded well enough? Uh, maybe they need to reform RO or change it completely. Um, otherwise, I think people are going to continue to this uh, whistleblowers will continue to distrust RO and then maybe they'll go like the congressional route instead. But I think you know, the people who want to cover this up, like I said before, you know, the politicians are around for a certain period of time, right? And like politicians, they have a lot of other things on their plate, right, to be interested in and a lot of other things. It's not just UAP. I think people who focus on UAP, they forget that there's you know, a plethora of, you know, national security uh, crises going on at any one time around the world, as well as like, you know, domestic issues, employment, health, whatever it is, abortion, you know, in the States, the big one. So it's not just UAP. And, you know, do, do these people, these, these people that the Americans elected, do they have the attention span to keep their foot on the, on the gas, as it were, and to see this through? And really, the it's going to come no. from them. Because well, they're the only ones that can compel these people to do it. But I think the, the latest intelligence Authorization Act, that's actually quite interesting, giving an amnesty for contractors and people who've worked on these UAP programs to, to kind of cough up the goods, as it were, and to have a, a get out of jail free card. But, I, I, you know, as we said in the last podcast, whether whether they actually want to come out knowing that there may be repercussions against them or their families, you know, remains to be seen. But look, Grush has been very, very brave, and I think he's going to be a, a good example to others. I hope so, but... Uh, given what you just told me, I think it's, I think there's, unless there's an on offer by the government for a witness protection program as part of that authorization act, I don't, also people in these programs, they're, they're given uh, access to highly privileged information. That's fascinating stuff. So they also have an, they also have an incentive to keep their mouth shut because they'll continue to be able to work on these programs. The moment they speak up, they're going to get frozen out and for good reason, right? Anybody who kind of unveils classified information when they're not supposed to, I mean, it's SOP to shut those people off from that information, which is kind of what happened to Grush right now. He, he, he treats it as retaliation and it certainly can be both. Right. Well, that's an, that's an excellent point. Um, I mean, if you're working like a large corporation, like you said, you're working on something absolutely fascinating. It's like the highlight of your career and you want to make a breakthrough with it, whether it's going to be publicly acknowledged or not, but just for your own personal interest. If you speak out about it, even if you're not fired from the company, you might end up working in like, you know, some really kind of remote and boring laboratory somewhere doing, you know, stuff that you did when you were when you were, when you were a postgraduate student and which you really don't want to be doing. So, yeah, I'd agree with that. You, you can't get to the inner circle by opening your gob or stay there by opening your gob. And that's part of the problem, too, because they get you in both both on the positive side, right, like that, but they also compromise you yeah, in certain ways. And, I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if one of these programs, once you start working in these highly, highly classified systems, there's, you know, some, you know, intelligence agency that as like part of sop finds a way to compromise you so that you're locked in you can't so a lot of these people might even if they wanted to speak up they have some deep dark secret 
leverage that will, that will come out if they if they speak up. It's something deeply embarrassing that they either did on their own or they were just put in a situation where you know some attractive woman shows up in your hotel room yeah and, and they don't have yeah and they don't have the the willpower to refuse and next thing you know there's video and you know they're married and this and that so it's relatively easy to do without well i don't know about you probably if you had to hire a prostitute you broke a law but there are ways to do those sorts of things without killing somebody or, or physically harming somebody. I, I know of cases where exactly that's happened in the corporate world where, you know, for example, somebody wanted to prevent like a, you know, a merger, for example, and they compromised like a senior executive precisely that way. I mean, the honeypot is as old as time. Mm -hmm. And why people still fall for it is, is, well, I guess everybody has their their strengths and weaknesses and a good intelligence operative is going to figure out what those weaknesses are and exploit them. Exactly. And everybody, everybody has weaknesses. Yeah. So everybody has a positive or negative motivation for doing things as well. That's right. Like you could get people to do absolutely terrible things against their country using patriotism as a lure. Right. So, and people might think they're doing the right thing, but they're not because of that positive motivation. So anyway, any last thoughts or final thoughts on disclosure? No, I just say I've, I've never liked the kind of that big D sort of term disclosure. I've never seen it as the president, as you say, coming out onto the balcony and announcing, you know, like, you know, we are not alone and we have these craft and here are the bodies. I think it's going to be a, a much slower and more murky process. It's going to have to be people like, you know, Ross Coulthard and various other researchers prizing it out. Yeah, it's just it's so frustrating. <laughs> I mean, it's it's so frustrating watching it because it's you're you're not going to convince the world. And I think it could be disruptive, kind of doing the big D disclosure in the short term. But I think in the long term can also help reduce a lot of some of the, like a lot of the other problems that we have in the world. If we know that there's stuff out there, a it might unify us to focus on. Even militaries, right? Even even if you assume most most stuff that visits here is beneficent, you could focus global militaries to focus on the skies instead of on each other, right? Yeah. And then you could leverage some of those resources and free them up to work on interstellar propulsion and, and things like that. And, and just solving the energy problem, right? It's just unconscionable to me that we would be in possession of this and not somehow open it up well, as a race we spend far more in defense and killing each other than we do on uh, you know making the world a better place right that's right and it's all about <laughs> threat narratives right and like if you don't do this you could but again you can take that instinct and you could just focus it up there instead of on an on an uh intraspecies level and even if there's no threats up there at least you can get humanity to work together and work on technologies that by just default would make the world a better place because you need to solve the energy problem to travel those distances. You need to solve the you know propulsion. You need to do all this stuff. Now, granted, every new technology, to your point about kind of zero point energy or free energy, 
you have to deal with, you know, quantum bombs and, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff. But we've done that in the past, right? We used nuclear energy and we have these horribly destructive weapons that we've only used twice. And my country is the only one who's, who's used them. But it, it, it's just, it's it's very frustrating to see stuff that's blindingly obvious to a very small portion of the population. Everybody else is asleep. And most people just don't care. It just kind of they're not even aware of it. it just passes them by. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, my friend. It has been an absolutely intriguing discussion. And I guarantee my audience will be interested to hear this stuff. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Sean. I hope we do it again soon. Absolutely. If you enjoyed this video, please click on like, subscribe, and the notification button so that you're alerted anytime I post something new. Oh, my God.